And so then to have, you know, a significant other and then a husband whose behaviors and actions and choices were were further compounding that lie that I'm not enough, that I'm not worthy. Um, it, it was it was huge. And so yeah, you talk about that horrible night in our living room where stuff really hit the fan. And I, I it was my breaking point. Welcome to This Whole Life, a podcast for all of us seeking sanity and sanctity, and a place to find joy and meaning through the integration of faith and mental health. I'm Pat Millay, a Catholic speaker, musician, and leader, and I'm here with my bride, Kenna, a licensed marriage and family therapist. This is the stuff she and I talk about all the time, doing dishes in the car on a date. We're excited to bring you this podcast for educational purposes. It's not therapy or a substitute for mental health care. So come on in, have a seat at our dining room table, and join the conversation with us. We are so glad you're here. Welcome back to This Whole Life, friends. It's great to be with you today. It's another glorious day in the recording studio, and I'm here with my glorious bride who's <laughs> making ridiculous never, faces at me. <laughs> I've never had that adjective used for me before. Glorious? Glorious. The, I dig it. It sounds The face very, you were making was a very, thing of glory. Yes, <laughs> it <awesome>. was. <laughs> this is one of the rare moments that I wish that we had a video element to our podcast. I know. I was. I will say I, I've been off Instagram for a while but I went to go check on something today and I saw the different Grease reels that you had posted on oh, yeah. Instagram. And first of all, thank you because like we're never going to like print pictures or anything because we're, yeah. we're just not in that season of life. <laughs> but a lot of the video you have, I was like, I make ridiculous faces. Like we should not be on video. Like this, uh, my facial expressions are radio facial expressions. Like, like I was made for audio only. <laughs> you, uh, false, first of all. Although the benefit of being the one with the camera slash phone is always that your faces are the only one on the video and they don't have yeah. to look at my ridiculous I face, did notice. So. I was like, how many seconds of these reels are Pat or Kenna's mouth closed? Because <laughs> we just are always like open, Zero. gaping yeah, mouths. Like, ah! yeah. like, Me riding the donkey up the hill just and you surprised. just like walking through Thessaloniki yes. with your mouth or, in a big grin or eating or eating, eating correct all, eating drinking all the time <laughs> anywho yes welcome back to this whole life to... so glad to be with you friends whatever this day or evening or early morning finds you doing i'm glad that you're with us yeah um Thanks before we get too far in. into it if you are listening right now you may have noticed from the title of this episode my friends that if you are in the habit of you know the, our our episodes drop on late saturday night Maybe you find it Sunday morning. And if you like to wait until Monday morning where you drive the kids to school and you listen about encouraging and uplifting. <laughs> Are we KTIS? I was going to say like K-Love. <laughs> yeah, it sounds like a Christian music station. No, I mean uh, encouraging uh, uh, conversations about faith and mental health. This is not the episode to listen to with your little ones around. Right. And this is this is your 30 second lead to go find something else for them to listen correct. to. Yes, yes. Yes. Don't give in to Coco Melon. Don't let them listen to that. <laughs> but also not this. Uh, it's going to be a great conversation. Super valuable. I can't wait to have this discussion. But this is not a conversation for seven-year-olds. Yes. So Okay. So you've been warned. <laughs> this is, we hope, if, if you're like me and you fast forward, you hit the 30 second, 30 second, 30 second button. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. <laughs> like I'm still stalling for you yeah, because right. <laughs> I'm hoping that you're used to by now jumping back in. Pat is going to put 75 disclaimers out there because he would be horrified if this happened to him. <laughs> well, and let's do this. One more disclaimer after the highs and hards. Okay. Okay. So cool. why don't you start us off with that? The okay. highs and hards, by the way, very safe. Yeah. So if your kid's listening to this, you've got about another minute and a half okay <laughs> kick us off let's be real when have we ever finished highs and hards in a minute and a half that's true um all right highs and hards so i would say that um the hard lately has been just disruptions in schedule um recognizing again we all know this by now my choleric kind of type a personality just loves predictability as much as I can. And so the whole like Halloween, All Saints, 
many days of costumes needed in it's many different worst. settings. <laughs> High fructose corn syrup and dye red 40 or 6 or blue or whatever that was that was supposed to make my children berserk and it probably did. It's and I don't even language. know. Um, <laughs> just all of that. And then daylight savings. It was like, whose idea was to smash all these things in five days of each other? But it just happened. And also you're out of town when daylight savings happened, which neither of us knew was going to coincide. Correct. Which is just fantastic. Or did I schedule this event right, right. specifically on right. daylight savings? <laughs> but anywho, so it is a silly, maybe minor, hard, but it was really tonight in coming home. I got to spend some time with a friend who's recovering from a surgery and I took a couple of the kids with us after school. And I just realized like we had the time to do that. And so in retrospect, like that was a marathon at a sprinter's pace for those like five days. And I was like, mm -hmm. <sighs> like coming out of it. Um, yeah, just a little, a little ragged, a little weary. <laughs> um, so feeling really grateful um, to be done with that for another 360 days. Um, so, or I guess until daylight savings in the spring, whatever. I'm sure I'll find a reason to complain about that. So that's... And good, good news for you. There are no holidays between now and then. <laughs> the beginning of November through the spring, nothing going yeah, on that's going to disrupt our schedule at all. It'll be fine. <laughs> Thanks for that. Um, I would say the high is, and you kind of made, you poked fun at me ever so lovingly the other night, but I am totally on board of the... Um, evening ritual train right now. <laughs> and I am, you know what, if you are Is someone out right? there peddling ambient light and, and instrumental music and, <laughs> and diffused oils for calming and all sorts of supplements to relax my muscles, rolling on the foam roller, stretching downward facing dogs, like I am I am signed up for that program. You do like flip a switch into a <laughs> massage studio I, at about I 8 literally PM. flip a yeah. switch. I literally <laughs> flip all of the overhead lighting switches in our house. And it has been awesome. And I have been reading. I've been pleasure reading before bed, doing a little bit of an examine, checking in with you, um, hanging out with the kids. We've been doing some prayer with our older kids. Like It has been delightful, mainly kicked off by the sober October that our parish was um, observing together. Mm -hmm. um, but I'm like digging it. And it may not be the remedy for my insomnia because... <laughs> I was just going to ask. I have not asked you in friend. real life, I realized. Are you sleeping better after all these ridiculous you know, steps that you're going through? I'm not falling asleep better, but I do... Th I, I am finding, unless a child finds its way into our room, <laughs> which is like two out of three nights, but um, but I, I'm sleeping through the night, which is a huge upgrade yeah. from my usual. So that high... I will take it every day of the week. So make fun all you want, Pat Malay. But we will have that massage studio here. Can every I really night make fun all I want? Circa it's, 8 p.m. Because I've been holding it in until now. <laughs> <laughs> if I'm given free reign, buckle up. No, I'm just kidding. It's fine. Whatever and, you need to sleep. And you, what things can I poke fun at that are bringing you joy? <laughs> Nothing at all. I, I like totally normal things. Um, <laughs> I think my uh, I think my heart is. Um, just being reminded again and again that as our children get older, we will be presented with some new challenges during different stages. We've got our oldest is about to become a teenager in three weeks, which is, yeah, again, buckle up. Here we go. Um, uh, so some of the challenges and difficulties, difficult conversations and and priorities and things like that, those are going to be brand new. No one's ever been a teenager in our house before besides you and me. Um, but some of the challenges that our individual kids face are just going to be probably lifelong things that they deal with in their, their mind, their body, their worldview, whatever, you know? Um, so, so the heart I think is just coming to terms with those two things, mm -hmm. like some new challenges that we won't anticipate are going to be presented to us and some challenges that we will be really sick of, but they're just going to be with us yeah. forever and that's okay too, you know? Yeah. Um, and it's not, I mean, none of this is... I'm not despairing over any of it. It's going to be totally fine. We're going to fight through it. We're going to work through it together. It'll be great. But um, just coming to terms with what the future of parenting, growing children looks like, I yeah. think. There's um, really no easy button. It's just really yeah. like, mm, nope. No nope. kidding. I know. Yep. Um, and my high is that I um, was able to go 
speak over this past weekend when you were dealing with daylight savings all by yourself. It really wasn't that bad. Sorry about that. I'm just I'm just trying to get some mileage out of it, okay? I love you very much. Uh, <laughs> but I got to go to Albuquerque in New Mexico. Woo-woo. And it was great for a lot of reasons. I You don't love traveling as much as I do because you love your bed with the foam pad on top. And I can, Routine. Did you hear I can hear sleep my on any flat surface. It doesn't, and a lot of not flat surfaces. It doesn't matter at all. Um, so I love traveling. I love seeing new places. I had never been to New Mexico before. I had been to the Southwest, but never to New Mexico specifically. Um, the event was great. Uh, it was it was hosted by the Archdiocese of Santa Fe. Um, great organizers. Just a really good like grassroots group of youth ministers too that put this thing together. Um, and it was great to to kind of deepen some friendship with some folks that I met speaking with Catholic Heart Work Camp this past summer as well. So they were the connection to um, the Archdiocese of Santa Fe down there. So I got to get to know them a little bit better, make some new friends in Christ, and um, also just see like cacti and eat ridiculously good Mexican food and um, and then come home 40 hours later. And it was great. It was just a, <laughs> it was a beautiful, very predictable flight. Um, I did not get stranded in a blizzard in New Mexico God like I did it. this exact same time of the year last year. <laughs> so true. So apparently I just need to go to New Mexico in the fall and not North Dakota, <laughs> allegedly. Yes. I, I think uh, anyone could have told you that, babe. <laughs> oh gosh. So yeah, it, it was uh it was a definite high. Great to come home. Always better to come home than it is to be away. But uh but it was a great trip and a great ministry experience as well. Just a good faith experience. So, awesome. Well yeah. it's good to have you back and I'm glad you got to go. Thank you. Appreciate it. So, so this so, disclaimer number forty seven again <laughs> if you're still listening and you're three year old well maybe they can't even understand yeah three is too old if they're six months old probably no harm no foul but if they're like three or older now's the time to turn on something else and listen when they're not around or pop in those airpods those handy dandy airpods hey oh it's gonna be better for you and them if they don't hear this (laughs) um but i i really am excited about this conversation as as difficult as a conversation about pornography can be um one of the reasons that we're doing two episodes on this is that you and I kind of have found how vitally important it is to have conversations yeah. about this. And how we're not, like like the, as yeah. a world, we are not discussing this. I was thinking about that literally way. just before we hit record on this episode. Like one of the first thoughts that came in my mind is like the value of this kind of a conversation because like the the only conversations that I can remember having um, out loud about pornography were with like other 20 something bros, like joking about pornography Mm. in college. So like not a serious conversation, nothing that was constructive or helpful, certainly not holy. Uh, And that of course is the least helpful conversation about pornography. What, what I have, I, I can't remember a time that I had a really good intentional um, kind of constructive conversation about pornography. You yeah. know, I, I have like one-offs with with you and with other friends, things like that, but not in kind of an organic way where people can just talk about the way that it affects their life and yeah. the way that it's harmful and what we do with it. You know, yeah. Um, so I'm really glad that that we get to have this conversation. Um, and and you know, we are very aware, you and I, Kenna, and you listening at home there, that we're very aware that this is a topic that affects your life in one way or another. Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, based on statistics alone, I'm sure that everyone listening to this episode either has personal experience of pornography use themselves or that they have been in relationship or are in relationship with someone who is using pornography. Well, yeah. And and the the statistics do tell us that 77% of Christian men between the ages of 18 and 30. So these emerging young adults. And again, if we think, you know, primarily about those who are entering relationship, whether it's with a religious community, a diocese, or, or you know, um, in marriage, are looking at porn at least monthly. And a third of those are saying that they are addicted. They recognize that lack of control. And, and even among older men, you know, I think again, like you were talking about these 20 year old bros walk, you know, sitting around discussing it and making light of it and condoning one another's use. But mm-hmm, mm-hmm. even in older men, you know, 31 to 49, 64% acknowledge viewing porn monthly and 18% of them say, yeah, I'm addicted. And I think that that is really telling about its pervasiveness. I, I mean, I remember 
being in grad school and for marriage and family therapy and being in my sex therapy class and pornography was an intervention that we were encouraged to prescribe to couples to revitalize their connection and to help them overcome dysfunction and obstacles to intimacy. And, And just so when you say like, yeah, the culture out there isn't having these conversations, it's like, the opposite. And Mm -hmm, so mm -hmm. as you and I have been talking about it, and and we've been speaking publicly about um, our own story related to pornography and its presence in our marriage and its impact on us. But, you know, knowing all along that we wanted to bring it to the podcast and have just been really praying about how we would go about doing that, because there is so much good stuff out there um, in terms of Christian and Catholic resources, Mm -hmm. um, people who are doing amazing work, you know, helping us understand the impact of pornography on the the psyche, the brain, um, on our relationships, what it does to us spiritually. Um, I'm thinking of Matt Frad, um, certainly Jason Everett. I feel like he was an early voice on the scene in the Catholic Church. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, you introduced me to Fight the New Drug and to their ministry against pornography. Yep. Um, Covenant Eyes as a resource. And then recently we were introduced to Rachel, Rachel Kalaki's ministry, Magdala, and um, the way in which she's really opening up the conversation around women's sexual addiction, mm-hmm. which if you really want to talk about something that's been in the dark and closeted, right, holy right. bananas, that topic. We've assumed for decades that this is a men's problem. Women don't struggle with it. It's yeah. not a women's issue, which leaves women who use and are addicted to pornography feeling like they are absolute freaks that that no one can understand them and of course that is not true and (laughs) the more that we can normalize not the sinful behavior but normalize the experience the struggle the better chance we have of feeling a sense of community that we can all work through this together you know and what strikes me about those stats that you rattled off by the way is again those are statistics about christian men so this is not some problem that affects all of those pagans out there, you know. Like, yeah. <laughs> this is this unchurched, unlearned. Oh yeah. Th- this insidious poison in the church, right? That that's it's infiltrated the hearts and souls of men and women. It's infiltrated marriages, families, relationships, friendships, dating relationships, engagements. It it's infiltrated and oozed its way into everything, you know. Um be- and again, as Christians, it's not like we are under any illusion that this is okay. You know, <laughs> I mean, Jesus is really clear. He doesn't just condemn adultery as the physical sexual act of being in a sexual relationship with someone that is not your spouse. He takes it a step further and says, but I say to you, anyone who has ever looked at a woman with lust has already committed adultery with her in his heart. And I, I honestly have heard from different, some of the high schoolers that I've worked with in the past, also some folks my age who have said, well, porn, pornography is not in the Bible. It's never mentioned in the Bible. Hmm. So how can you tell me with certainty that every version of it is wrong, right? If Jesus never mentions it, and it's just the most hilarious logic. And I, with, with high schoolers, I'd be a little bit snarky and be like, oh, cool. So Jesus also never uses the words drunk driving or racism, but you're telling me you're, you're fine with those two. That's not a problem, mm, right? Yeah. Like we can easily- Spirit of the law here. Easily <laughs> take the principles and the truths that Jesus is laying forth and apply them to the 21st century and see that- this is the most obvious example of what he's talking about. Looking at uh, a woman, a man with lust in your heart, and especially when someone is in a relationship where they're not only betraying their own dignity, but now they're betraying their spouse and the relationship that they share with that person. Um, that, so again, we're, we're not going to belabor in either of these two episodes why pornography is wrong. There yeah. are great spiritual foundations of it. There's also a great video that I'll link uh, in the show notes from Russell Brand. I don't know if you know, no. recognize the name Russell, huh. Russell Brand. He's a, an actor you might recognize from different things. He's in a lot of, frankly, lewd movies that are really funny, but they're inappropriate, like Forgetting Sarah Marshall and things like that. Oh my gosh, yeah. But he himself, like personally, is hilarious, intelligent, and also shockingly, you know, like traditional about a lot of things. Hmm. So he has a, a whole YouTube video, like an eight, nine minute YouTube video that I watched again yesterday that is him just railing against the evils of pornography. Hmm. And he doesn't bring up anything faith-based. It's all sociological, very secular studies 
that have been done about the effects of porn hmm. use on individuals, relationships, society, psychology, all that stuff. It's just, there's all kinds of stuff out there to remind us this is bad for us. Yeah. Well, yeah. And so you said, Pat, we're, this our episode is not about explaining why pornography is evil. We are assuming that we're on the same page about these things. But yeah, let's go ahead and link up a lot of those resources. Yeah. I know there's a, a pastoral letter out there from is it our church, our U.S. bishops? Right. Um, and then certainly some of the links from Fight the New Drug. And especially if you just want to better understand the science. I know how much that helped me um, in our in our own story, Pat, of yep. Yep. Um, just, yeah, really trying to grow in empathy and also conviction. Um, and just the data is really, yeah. really helpful. Yeah. Fact finding is helpful. And I do want to start with just a couple little kind of psychological points about that too. But first, let's maybe kind of put out the roadmap of these two episodes. Um, because again, this isn't going to be um, this kind of top to bottom reasons that pornography is bad, like Matt Frad does a great job with. And it's not going to be some spiritual, theological underpinnings of the evils of pornography, like a lot of other great priests and bishops have done. This is going to be pretty focused on intrapersonal experiences. So me as a man, you as a woman, Kenna, how we have experienced this journey separately, individually, first of all. And then the second episode that comes out right after this one will be interpersonally how you and I in our in our dating, in our engagement, and especially, of course, in our marriage, how we have navigated and are God willing, triumphing in this battle together, how we have had to work together in our relationship to really restore a sense of healing and hope and and love in our relationship and our marriage too. So um, we're going to start off separate and we're going to come together for episode two, which feels fairly appropriate. And by the way, before we get to episode two of this pornography series, where we talk about the way that you and I in our marriage and our relationship kind of have kind of fought through this together, um, we would love to hear from you out there, listener, about your questions about pornography, healing, marriage, faith, whatever questions you have on your mind and heart about this, we're going to address as many of them as we can in the next episode. So if you're listening to this in real time and you're within that two-week window, please let us know your questions. You can send us a message at Instagram, at This Whole Life Podcast, on Facebook as well, or on our website, thiswholelifepodcast.com. There's a contact form and all those links are in the description as well. So please, please, please send us your questions. We'd love to hear what's on your mind so we can speak directly to you. But there there were two uh, studies that are just shocking to me. And again, not shocking because they gave me new information, but shocking because they solidify what I already know with hard science. And again, I'll put these uh, linked up in the show notes. One of them was a study that tracked uh, the reward center of the brain when it was presented with pornography. So in, in the first part of the study, the first thing that they did, heavy porn users were shown to be less capable of valuing long-term rewards over short-term. So, okay, so that was the first part. They kind of found that out. In the second part, the researchers divided those participants, the heavy pornography users, into two groups. And half of them were asked to abstain from pornography for two weeks. That was their job. The second half were asked to abstain from their favorite food for those two weeks, okay? So even though both groups were exercising some version of self-control for these two weeks, only the ones who abstained from pornography were able to appreciate long-term rewards better, not Mm. the ones who had given up their favorite food for two weeks. So what they discovered is that pornography specifically, it has this unique ability to affect our patterns of self-control and that self-control was not the key factor, pornography was the key factor. So mm-hmm. it's putting the horse before the cart. Mm-hmm. That Cause and effect. Cause and effect, yeah. right, exactly. So they use the term hypofrontality in this study. Hypo meaning less than or lower, mm-hmm. right? And frontality meaning the frontal cortex of our brain, the prefrontal cortex. That's the command center of the brain. It's, it's reason, logic, future planning. Executive functioning. Deferring yeah. present pleasure for long-term rewards, things like that. And what they found is that pornography creates a state of hypofrontality in people over time. So it it literally, we know this about the neuroplasticity of the brain that we talked about with Sofia Carozza in episode 20 of the podcast, that 
our brains are constantly moving and shifting in their structural integrity, even their structures, that our neurons are, are arranging themselves in different ways based on our habits and our experiences. So pornography creates the structures in our brain that make us more susceptible to pornography long-term, which is, again, the nature of addiction, right? <laughs> That's creating the psychological environment necessary for addiction. Um, and the second study, which is much more easy to sum up, is there was, a, a, again, a secular study done in 2017 that found out that couples who are married and have pornography present in their marriage are two times more likely to be divorced. Oh, for sure. Which, again, not surprising to me, but it was yeah. helpful for me to get the hard science to back up what I already had seen present in the world. And the reason I bring up those studies are not just for interesting scientific data. I mean, <laughs> again, this is stuff that I think a lot of us probably understood already. The reason I bring up those two studies is that I want to revisit them later on because those two specific studies, I think, are very relevant to my experience with, por with hmm. pornography, to our shared ongoing victory over pornography together in our marriage. Um, so I'll kind of point back to those as we proceed here. Okay. Well, yeah, I mean, let's do that then. Let's let's jump into, you know, kind of this first episode of of my perspective and your perspective, Pat. And I'm I'm curious, um when did you know that pornography was a problem for you? <laughs> it's a really interesting question. Um I mean, on one hand, I think I knew immediately that this was a problem. Hmm. Again, I I don't think that pornography is this insidious well sorry it's insidious i don't think it's a sneaky thing that looks okay on the front but you discover later on that it's really bad mm -hmm. i think i knew the first time that i was at a buddy's house and he had hbo and we did not that i remember thinking like again i was i was probably 13 i think mm -hmm. and there's this kind of dual experience for a 13 year old of like, this is really exciting. Mm -hmm. There's something that draws me to this. I'm attracted to this somehow. And again, mm -hmm. that's the sign of a healthy sexual desire. Like mm -hmm. that desire is not bad, but I should have listened to the second immediate reflex, which is this is not okay. This mm -hmm. is not the way it's supposed to be mm -hmm. right. That kind of internal cringe of like, Ugh, something doesn't feel right here, yeah. you know? So immediately I knew it wasn't okay. And I should have listened to that. And I certainly did not. I mean, I, I, it was like the classic story of just uh, going deeper and deeper into the cave of despair over the course of the years. You know, I would, once the internet became really accessible and omnipresent throughout high school for me, it was really easy to access different forms of pornography. Getting to college where I had unlimited freedom and internet access was just where the wheels to totally fell off. So I would say that's probably the second kind of waypoint for me mm -hmm. of like, this is genuinely affecting my ability to engage with the world in a healthy way. Yeah. That's when I really was able to look at myself and like acknowledge this is an addiction. This is not just something that is a habit that no one needs to know about anymore. It's yeah. not just like a bad habit, quote unquote. I didn't do something stupid. This is something evil and I have become a slave to it now, you know? So that was kind of the the internal moment. And then, you know, I, at a certain point in our dating relationship, I had disclosed to you that this was a part of my journey, part of my story. We had had lots of conversations about it, but. The, do you remember telling me? I vaguely do. Yes. Do you? Yeah. I remember lots of specific conversations in our dating and engagement. Oh, really? And I can't remember which one was which sometimes. The, the very first <laughs> time. Yeah. I, I didn't see it coming. Hmm. And you were visiting me and my family over a break because um, that's right. I was yep. still, I think, in grad school at that point. And yeah. And I remember you sharing and it was, you were sharing from a place of like transparency, honesty, acknowledgement that this is a problem. This is, I see this as a sin, Kenna, and I know that it affects you and asking for my prayers. And so I, I remember being very encouraged by your, um, yeah, your forthrightness and, um, your integrity of coming to me to tell mm. me about it. Um, so that was, yeah, early on, probably within a few months of us seriously dating. Interesting. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And um, we, we'll get back to this later, I'm sure. But I, I certainly, on some level, expected for the sacrament of matrimony 
to solve all my problems because mm-hmm. until we were married, I was I was genuinely trying as much as I thought I could at the yeah. time. Uh, I was fighting the good fight, but I don't know that I was really totally committed to it or totally serious about it. I certainly still had my pornography use in like this corner of my life that no one had to know about. And I was living the definition of a double life where I was like leading campus ministry things. And I was like the Catholic guy. Right. Mm -hmm. And so I could not bear the thought of anybody finding out that I was this other person, you know? Yeah. Which is part Um, of the shame cycle, right? Which is part of what perpetuates addiction. Drove me right back to this, unhealthy coping mechanism in the first place, you know? Um, and so I, I thought, and I hoped, and I think I just was like wishing like fingers crossed, which I shouldn't do. Cause we just did a whole episode about superstition <laughs> two weeks ago. Uh, <laughs> but I was hoping that marriage would be like the silver bullet, like God's grace, you know, our presence together in a home, like that shift in life would well, change. And things. also the change in our sexual relationship. Correct, I imagine right? you had these assumptions of like, okay, now right. that we can right. yeah, fully consummate and like this will be fine. Right. Maybe it's because I can't have sex that I do this, you know, mm-hmm. that kind of thing. And um the the final moment where I knew it was the worst possible problem was the night that you were in our living room with me and you were just screaming obscenities mm-hmm. at me mm-hmm. and it was and the thing is like i wasn't mad at you you were saying very unkind things but they i wouldn't even say unkind you were saying very true angry things yeah <laughs> with maybe some I unkind there's vocabulary a lot of name calling. yeah i i don't really remember that night very well but <laughs> but i trust you you blacked out a little bit <laughs> uh but it really like that that was a moment for me of like i my actions have tangible painful effects on the person that i literally love the most in the world Mm. and and again like even that that was many years ago and the 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 habit still wasn't done after that point you know it Mm -hmm. it it took whatever probably 10 years to get into a cycle of addiction and it took 10 or more years to get out of it you know which isn't unheard of in the course of recovery of any kind you know but um, there was a few different moments of when I knew it was a problem. So yeah. what about you on your side of the fence? Yeah. What do you think? Yeah. Um, you know, so I think something that was really difficult for me was not just the pornography use and the way in which I definitely felt violated and I felt like our marriage and, and just the sacred act of sex was was violated, but it was the custody. We, we ended up calling it in our marriage. We still do custody of the eyes yeah. issues. And so... I don't know if if you can describe like what that is and how it's related to pornography use, um, but that for me, when when I felt like I was scanning constantly for you to be attracted to, drawn—I don't even know if you would use that word—but but drawn to, um, focused on, like your focus would come off of me or come off of our kids and focused on someone else. That's probably when I knew that mm. this was a really big issue. When we talked uh, maybe last week, when we had talked about this, you had talked about circumstances in our even in our marriage where you would be in this state of like hypervigilance mm-hmm. and protecting me from myself kind of, mm-hmm. which is one of the many characteristics of like a codependent relationship with an addict, right? Where you felt like you had to overcompensate because I didn't have the skills to keep myself safe and therefore to care for you well. So mm-hmm. like if we walked into a room full of people, you would be looking for anyone that was in the room, any human being that you thought might be a problem for me in terms of you know, physical Lusting, look or modesty, yeah, you know, yeah. lust, things like that. And you would try to like position yourself between us or make sure that I wasn't facing yeah. them. Like it was a physical enactment right. of like this, like emotional cognitive reality that I was living all the time mm-hmm, of, mm-hmm. of trying to be chased for you, you know? And right. yeah. And of course, as we talk about this, the irony is prior to the superstition episode, a few episodes ago, we talked about let them struggle and not falling tra- <laughs> falling into the trap of over-functioning yeah. and enabling. And that's totally what I was doing. So um, good job, Kenna. Like way to, um, way to speak to something you know so well. Uh, so yeah, so for me, I'd say that that was more of the issue. Like it was, it wasn't just that pornography became a source of conflict for you and I when you would fall into use or something like that. It it was starting to 
seep into every interaction. And and honestly, I, I imagine there were times, especially early in our marriage, that I just like didn't want to go out because nothing felt safe sure. to me. Like even sure. a trip to Target, mm-hmm. you know, felt like, oh my gosh, there's gonna be too many girls in yoga pants. Like, like even that was overwhelming to me because mm-hmm. I was caught in this lie that it was my job to, like you said, protect you from yourself. Yeah, right. We can get right. more into that later. But but yeah, so that would be my perspective. Yeah, that custody of the eyes things has been just an ongoing thing for me and therefore for us too. That I, I mentioned earlier that in college was when I started really looking at just the the amount of pornography use that I was giving into and when it started to really settle in, like this is actually affecting my life, the custody of the eyes things is one of the ways that I saw that, that mm-hmm. it became not a willing choice, but a genuine reflex to just scan the world for attractive women, you know, mm-hmm. which is not, it's not an unreasonable leap because the nature of pornography mm-hmm. is you just scan the internet until you find something that lights up your mm-hmm. dopamine in your brain mm-hmm. and gets you excited about this one particular thing. And um, that's one of the many dangers of pornography in the way that it degrades real human relationships is you trade the depth and the difficulty and the beauty of having one person in front of you who is probably beautiful, also probably sometimes not that exciting, you know, mm-hmm. just a normal human being. You trade that for an unending stream of perfectly available and perfectly willing images on a screen, you mm-hmm. know? And so my my brain had learned the lesson, well, you just go on to the next person, you know? And so I would walk around the world, walk into a room, a sporting event, a concert, Target, like you mentioned, and it genuinely was a true reflex. That doesn't mean there's no sin in it because <laughs> mm-hmm. the, the, the circumstances that brought me to the place of reflex are certainly morally culpable even if the reflex itself was not a willful choice, you know, mm-hmm. but that's something that really is, has taken a lot of work to try to get out of that mindset. And, you know, we'll mention this at many points. I'm sure the, the nature of recovery is that this will be a lifelong process for mm-hmm. me. You know, that mm-hmm. this is not, you talk about people who are recovering alcoholics, recovering, um, narcotics, uh, addicts, things like that. They are in recovery until they are in heaven, basically, mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. it's a lifelong process. And and that way of, of my eyes engaging with the world in a healthy way will always be part of that struggle for me. Yeah, yeah. So I think, you know, as you talk about that kind of objectification that came with your viewing of pornography, there was something in myself, too, of feeling this loss of worth, knowing of your use, and just... Yeah, I, I mean, I, I brought stuff with me too, right? I had been in previous relationships. I had been in a pretty worldly culture um, that objectified women that um, really did not honor like sex and did not see it as something that um, is so beautiful and so holy and so godly in the context of marriage. Like that was um, n- not messages I had been raised on. Mm-hmm. And so, um, coming in was this challenge for me to recover that sense of value and worth. And I was like already in the hole. And so then to have, you know, a significant other and then a husband whose behaviors and actions and choices were, were further compounding that lie that I'm not enough, that I'm not worthy. Um, it, it was, it was huge. And so, yeah, you talk about that, horrible night in our living room where stuff really hit the fan. Um, and I, I, it was my breaking point. Like Mm -hmm. I just, I Mm -hmm. remember being like, I am stuck in this marriage and I'm committed to this man and I, and I believe in this sacrament and I want to uphold the sacrament. And, and yet like, how can the one I love so much be the source of, this hurt, you know, instead of one who brings healing and aid to it, like adds on to it. Um, And so, so yeah, so I can acknowledge like what I brought to the marriage for my part. Um, And then the way, you know, I won't get into all the psychoanalytics about how Freud would say that you are exactly the man that I had to marry because of what I brought to the marriage um, (laughs) in order to work this out. Um, But, um, you know, kind of before the show, Pat, or before the recording, we talked about like, what's our one prayer that that we hope people gain from this episode for 
each of us. And and my, a peace of mind is that um, that if if you are someone who is in relationship with someone who uses porn or has a disordered, um, yeah, a sexual addiction. Um, that that if there is any way in which you have gotten tangled up in that, that you take that personally, which is like an absurd statement, right? Of, of course, I would take it personally, kind of like, how do I not take that personally? It's literally a sin against my person um, that my, you know, boyfriend, girlfriend, husband, wife um, is using. But, but man, there are so many ways that um, I didn't even realize how I was tangled up in your behavior. And again, back to that enmeshment and that codependence, but I'd taken it upon myself to believe that I was the reason that you couldn't heal, mm-hmm. right? Like if I were more beautiful, more sexy, more thin, more fit, more had bigger boobs, like who knows, you know, like, like just all these things. I wasn't enough though, right? Is that, is that Mm. fundamental negative core belief that, that trauma cognition we say. Um, But, but I just was living in that world. And, and in that way, I was, I was cooperating with the evil one, right? He had me hook, line and sinker, um, had me exactly where he wanted me because we were pitted against each other. Mm. Um, We'll get more into that next episode, but, um, but yeah, that, that for those listening who maybe are in the shoes that I have been in and, and was in for so long, um, that you would maybe be honest about some of the ways that you are taking on responsibility and start to disentangle yourself. Right. And I, I, I've told you this before, but I will say it again. It, none of that was ever about you being not beautiful enough, not attractive enough, not interesting enough not sexy enough, right? Mm-hmm. And the irony is that that is one of the things that I consoled myself with in the midst of my pornography use during our marriage too, hmm. is that I would say to myself, like, it's not like I don't desire Kenna. It's not like I'm not attracted to her. It's not like I don't desire to have sex with her, frankly, as much as possible now that we're married. Like <laughs> those desires remained and those were very present in in my psyche and in my soul. So I I did have an existing healthy desire and attraction to you. And so I consoled myself by saying, so it can't be that big of a deal hmm. because it hasn't like stolen my sexual desire for my wife. You know? Hmm. It just like I could add that to the pile of insanity that I told myself as an addict to justify what I was doing. But right? that's that's the way of the evil one, right? Like right, he's such right. a slippery snake to get in there yeah. and to not, you know, seemingly tell you like I'm not attacking the most important human relationship. Or, yeah. you know, pornography is not undermining the most important human relationship right. in your life, Pat. So don't worry about it. You're right. good. You're still in a good place. Right. To the point of like even I, I told you this a little while ago. Like I would look at the the type of pornography that I would use and I would tell myself um, which is maybe true in some way, some spectrum. This isn't super perverse pornography. Like they're the most evil, evil stuff you can imagine is out there on the internet. I don't mess around with that stuff. I use okay pornography. <laughs> <laughs> I, I didn't know there was a spectrum, but okay, thanks. For- but that's again, it's the the insanity of sin, as Peter Crave talks about a lot. Just the 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 stories that I was comfortable talking to myself about to justify what I was doing. And of course, neither of those deals with the true issue, which is that I I couldn't convince myself. I, I can tell myself all the stories I want. I know it's wrong. I know I'm hurting you. I know that I am made for more than this. So whether I am consoling myself with a lie or whether I'm just trying to tell myself it's not a big deal, it's not a big deal, it's not a big deal, it still results in this shame and I've had a very tricky relationship with shame for many, many years. You and I have talked about that in our marriage as well, Mm -hmm. that shame is a really easy place for me to get stuck and for me to be comfortable hunkering down and feeling sorry for myself Mm -hmm. forever. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So Mm -hmm. it it was really easy for me to feel the shame and they're like, well, I guess I'll never get over it and either go that direction, which is despair that I can't do anything about it, or I don't want to do anything about it, which is at least honest, but not helpful, not mm-hmm. holy, you know? Mm-hmm. So either one of those, I can't do it or I don't want to do it, bring me back to shame, sends me back to pornography, and I didn't have 
the again, remember, my brain had been trained for 10, 15 years at this point to not put up a fight. So pornography had changed my brain enough that I didn't have the weapons to fight against it, to use good self-control. So it was just an easier, easier way to give in year after year after year. So it's taken untold amounts of confession, therapy, conversations with you, accountability with friends of mine to get to a place now where I finally am starting to reset some of those structures to like set up the wall outside the castle again to mm. let none of the the enemy get in anymore, you know? Well, and I wonder if, if I think in this episode, we're going to talk about kind of what turned the ship around mm-hmm, for mm-hmm. you and then what was my reaction? So, I mean, what was that? It wasn't the night of obscenities in our living room. <laughs> like you acknowledged that while that was terrifying and thanks be to God, we've never had to repeat that again. Um, but it's like, what was it then? Cause that night definitely put me in a place of shame again. And I don't think it was because what you were doing. I think it's because I, didn't have the maturity and the humility to be motivated by my sin to be different. I think I was stuck in the place still of like, I guess is just who I am. This is my identity is Mm -hmm. my sin. You know, Um, the biggest turning point, honestly, was a while back when um, I was as open about it with you and with my best friend that I had ever been in my life. And it was one of the more embarrassing times for me to do it because I had been, you know, on and off sober for years at that point. So there were, there were long periods of time, months, years, even Mm -hmm. of sobriety of being clean and free from pornography. And then there was another stretch of falling, failing, getting back into a habit. And it really did come down to that point of like, all right, I, I I can't even, if you're listening now and you've been through something like this, you know what this feels like, but the feeling internally of like, I, every cell in my body hates the idea of telling these people what I'm about to tell them. Hmm. Like Mm -hmm. this, nothing could be more internally painful than this. Mm -hmm. Not like physical suffering, not even really spiritual suffering, but just like relational suffering. Like I'm about to Hmm. disappoint the two people that I care about most in the world, you know, um, <laughs> mm-hmm. I'm the editor, so I can cut out any of this. It'll be fine. <laughs> you stop that right now. Um, and, uh, the, so the, I had told you before, and I had told other friends of mine, I had certainly been a confession to way too many priests who probably got sick of it over a while, after a while. Uh, I had told people before, but for whatever reason, this this version of telling people, of disclosing it, was way more of like, damn it, I'm done. Like <laughs> I, mm. I can't do it anymore. So mm. it was like the 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 feeling of like opening the doors and like letting the 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 sunlight and the fresh air into the haunted mm. house where you find out that there's actually no skeletons or ghosts or anything. It's just like a creepy curtain and a broom with a sheet on it in the corner, Hmm. you know, things like that. Um, that, that, that kind of transparency vulnerability, even with two people, literally two people, that's all it took just changed everything for me. And I'll add to that, the technological transparency of covenant eyes, which we mentioned earlier that now I've got apps on my devices that send a report every week to my best friend and he can see like garbled, but he can see screenshots of any problematic content that have been on my phone or my computer, mm-hmm. you know, and I am very motivated to not <laughs> let him it, see Apparently any of that shame stuff. has an upside sometimes. <laughs> it does. No, but that's the thing. Like <laughs> JP2 talked about that before that we, we always think of shame as a bad thing. And one version of shame is, but he talked about the kind of shame that Adam and Eve had in the garden after they hmm. sinned that that there was a thing about the beauty of their bodies that they felt ashamed and it's actually good that they felt ashamed mm-hmm. because the thing is so valuable mm-hmm. and they knew the value of it but they knew that it had been betrayed all of mm. a sudden that 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 feeling was good it wasn't i am the worst it's it's i i should have done something different mm-hmm. with this treasure you know mm-hmm. so that's the kind of shame that i that i like put myself out there and it really um you know who God willing, please, Lord, let this be free for me for the rest of my life. But up until now, at least, 
that has been like the biggest turning point ever. The um, There's a, a pastor that I love to follow on Instagram, Tim Ross, um, who is a great evangelical Protestant pastor, very concerned about mental health and about his past with pornography use and trauma and addiction, things like that. And his, one of his big catchphrases is vulnerability is my superpower, Mm. which I love Mm -hmm. from a Christian perspective, especially, Mm -hmm. but just as human beings, that the more that we can be open with each other, instead of me like partitioning off this part of my life that no one can see, it can't hurt you if you don't see it is again, a lie of the evil one. So that, that kind of vulnerability was a game changer for me. Well, thank you. First of all, for your vulnerability. And I've been told it's my superpower. Um, it is your superpower. <laughs> and and I recognize that the moments that I have had the most hope for our marriage have not actually been necessarily these long stretches of sobriety for you, but it is when you are vulnerable with me, when you mm. when you are the one who takes the initiative. You know how much this matters to me um, <laughs> when you take the initiative to come to me and to say I'm struggling or, um, you know, there have even been times when you haven't actively used pornography, but you're like the temptation is rising up or I'm noticing mm-hmm. myself mm-hmm. fall into some old patterns. Um, and and so I just I want to underscore that for you and for everyone who's listening that it cannot be understated and it should not be underrated. Um not only between people, but I think it is our superpower against the evil one, right? Like he hates the light and vulnerabilities when we get to bring stuff into the light. Mm -hmm. And, Mm -hmm. you know, for my part, when I say like, what helped turn the ship around? Because, you know, there's this this question of like, okay, Pat, when did you get clean? Or or how are you working your recovery now? But then there's this question of like, how did you guys restore trust in your marriage? Like kind of how did you, how did you overcome? How did you kick the addiction of being hyper vigilance and over-functioning and enmeshed with Pat, um, which again, we'll talk a little bit about in the next episode. But I think for my part, again, to go back to this drum that I seem to keep beating about recognizing how your use was touching on this wound of mine. And actually, so long as you were using, I was thinking about this as you were sharing just now, but so long as you were using, it was actually really easy for me to see you as the problem. I was in literally all of that. just thinking that even before you said it. Yeah yeah, 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 yeah. It really was. It was easy for me to go. Well, the reason I have low self esteem, the reason that I, you know, am self critical and have this, you know, voice in my head that tells me that I'm never enough and that I have to hustle for my worth and all these things, it's because I have a husband who doesn't value me. And and so as you got sober and and even as I just started to pull away from um being enmeshed with you, I realized like, nope, I carry this. There's a lot of contributors to this wound. And and so, you know, certainly a lot through therapy, spiritual direction, prayer conversation with you and and good friends um, have been able to really see the roots of that lie, see how, you know, it has been certainly contributed to in our marriage, but, um, but that was what helped me turn it around because then, and I mean this in the healthiest, most charitable way, I was detached from your use. I no longer, right. right, When, when you fell into sin, that's a common phrase that's used in recovery language. Like when you used again or told me that you were tempted or, or I felt offended by the way you lacked custody of the eyes in public or whatever Mm -hmm. it was. Yeah. I was upset about the way that you were not honoring our marriage, but it wasn't the same criticism to my personhood that it had been for all the years, right. for, for many years of my life prior to even meeting you. And so to me, that was a new level of freedom and and a new level of truth that I could live in. Again, it's not that it wasn't hurtful. It's not that I'm unaffected, but there was this detachment of like, he has got to figure out his stuff. He's got to figure out how to rewire his brain like you know just (laughs) like absolutely i'm going to support you but like you needed to get your accountability ducks in a row Mm -hmm. um and i for my part needed to look at the deeper healing so that i could stop feeling like you know a vat of salt was being rubbed into this very open wound Mm -hmm. that Mm -hmm. i had and so yeah um ironically and, and maybe that's why we're doing these episodes with this structure but like it took us 
going separately, figuring stuff out exactly. in order to be able to come back. I um, think about that dynamic a lot when we talk about the way that we've dealt with pornography separately, because um, it really did. I think one, we, we certainly had to deal with the immediate practical reality of pornography. Like, how do we get rid of it today? Not tomorrow, today. You know, like today is a very acceptable time. Today is the day of salvation, right? Um, that certainly was like the presenting problem. That was that was the content we were dealing with. But beneath that is this reality that we had gotten into this dynamic where you were the good spouse and I was the bad one. Mm-hmm. And both of us felt that dynamic in our own on our own side of the fence. We both certainly acted like it at times mm-hmm. that I was mm-hmm. really comfortable being the bad one because mm-hmm. it was easy for me to just like dote on you and just give you lavish compliments and do ridiculous acts of service. Like every time that I would get in trouble, quote unquote, I would just like clean the house and mm-hmm. it would, I would, I would hope that that would make you feel better. You know, like I was, we settled into that dynamic and that needed as much, if not more healing than the content issue that pornography brought us, you mm-hmm. know? Um, and that's been one of the really valuable ways that we've approached pornography specifically is looking looking under the hood and seeing like all right this is what's on the surface but what are the internal emotional psychological spiritual things going on that are that are bringing up this problem in in my life my own particular sin and the way that it affects our marriage too yeah well and i've been reading jay springer's unwanted his book unwanted right. which is very very popular um around um unwanted sexual behavior and addiction and and he you know he he goes so far as to say things like covenant eyes aren't helpful and i think maybe and maybe i've misunderstood him um i understand that he's saying it's not the whole answer right right there's this one two punch like you said pat of of addressing the content of like how do we get this out of the house it's toxic how do we remove it it. And also Springer's book is has been wonderful for me to um, answer the reflection questions at the end of each chapter and to to do this deeper dive of like, what is this cycle? Um, what are these wounds? He calls them depravities, you know, things that we're longing for that that um, we can find in our unwanted sexual behaviors mm-hmm. and, and disordered behavior. But um, anywho, so we'll link up Springer's book um, yeah. in the show notes. And yeah, I just, I remember, you know, kind of reading it out loud like I do with books to you. I tell you I'm just gonna read you a quote and then I like read you a whole chapter. But but you were you were like, yeah, 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 yeah. And and so recognizing like a lot of what he was sharing had been the meandering path, you know, that you mm-hmm, were on. Mm-hmm. But when you finally um yeah, I think as you would say, um were able to do more of that healing and yeah. uprooting of the the sin and the the habit, um, it was from this place of depth and and that's really uncomfortable. Oh, it's really hard. It's terrible. It was sometimes. hard watching yeah. you, you know, so yeah. I I have just the utmost gratitude and respect for the work that you hmm. have done on behalf of our family and I, and I know for you and for the salvation of your own soul, but um but I I I do not um yeah, I don't take lightly the commitments that you have made to us like through working your recovery. So, yeah. thank you. Good. You're love. welcome. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah. I um the the two things about unwanted. First of all, I would totally agree with him that covenant eyes is certainly not enough, right? If someone would say to me, if you were really in recovery, you wouldn't need covenant eyes, you wouldn't need accountability software, I would I would say, You're right. I, I hope to one day not need this like the, the gutters on the bowling lane, right? I hope to not need that structure someday. But I would rather have that and yeah. avoid the sin yeah. and get trained in the way of holiness and self-control again yeah. than aim for a Hail Mary on on first down and mm-hmm. come up short and throw an interception instead, you know? Yes. Um, so so that's the first thing. Yes, it in a perfect world, accountability software is unnecessary. I'm telling you, it's necessary for a lot of us. Yes. <laughs> the second thing is um, that that kind of like psychological, emotional, like at the heart of the issue that he gets at, that for me was a lot of the scary stuff really. Because mm. for so long, it was just like, it, it was like, I'll go to confession and then I'm just going to grip my teeth. I'm going to do it. 
I'm going to make it better. I'm going to fix the problem and nobody needs to know. And that's the best of both worlds. I don't have to tell anyone that I'm doing the shameful thing and I can do it myself and I can be the, mm. the one who fixes it, you know? But then when we started to get, first of all, when that didn't work, shocker, then we were faced with the reality. I was faced with the reality of, okay, if I really am serious about eliminating this from my life, not messing around with it, not getting rid of it kind of, but maybe down the road, you know, who knows? Like, no, if I'm serious, then I'm going to have to get way deeper and I'm going to have to get into my feelings. I'm going to have to get into the ways that I look at myself that are unhealthy and unwanted. I'm going to have to reconcile those with your wounds and the ways that our our woundedness kind of bumps up against each other. It makes us both hurt in ways that are unexpected. I'm going to have to do much harder work than mm. just throwing up some accountability software and hoping for the best. Like yeah. I'm going to have to get really deep and it's going to be brutally, and it was brutally hard sometimes. Yeah. It was way harder than just trying to avoid pornography, but it's also, it, I, I don't know about the only, but certainly the healthiest way to like genuine recovery. Yeah. And and again, so much for next episode. But I think when we talk about our marriage and we talk about what I would say are like new depths that we were able to go to as a result of that work, that soul searching, that soul healing that that you embarked on. Um, like, I think that's apparent, you know, that that doesn't come from accountability software. Yeah. Um, that really comes from that deeper psychological and spiritual work. Right. So, right. Yeah. yeah. So much to look forward to. Oh, there's your teaser. Uh, yep. Well, Pat, do you have a challenge by choice? <laughs> I do. Yeah. And I think, you know, we had talked about the, if you're listening to this right now, chances are that you are in one of two camps or possibly both groups at the same time, you know, Group number one is someone who is using pornography or is in some stage of the recovery process that pornography is a part of your own personal history. Again, male or female, married or single, ordained, like religious, like that you've got pornography in your life story somehow. Group two would be someone who maybe you have never struggled with this particular cross. This is not a sin that you have borne. Um, in your life, or certainly not persistently, but you know and love people who are carrying this burden that that they have it in their past or they're currently using now. Um, maybe a spouse, maybe a, a child, maybe a best friend, um, you know, whatever the case may be. So we've got two separate challenges: one from me to the users or past users out there, and then kind of you've got one for the ones who are loved ones. So if if I would say the challenge by choice for anyone who is using pornography or has in the past and, and that dragon still kind of like rears up its head sometimes is to be as thoughtful and courageous as you can about being transparent and vulnerable with someone about it. And again, even if your your organs feel like they are going to melt because of how much it is terrifying to tell somebody about this part of your life. If if only from a weird guy that you're hearing in your AirPods <laughs> right now, I can tell you that that fear is rewarded with love and humility and freedom once the lights have been turned on and the shutters have been thrown open. So um, even if it's, if it's the last thing in this world that you would like to do, um, bringing that sin, that that darkness into the light and seeing the way that the Lord can shine his light on it and the way that your loved ones can be there for you in the process too. Yeah, those human relationships are conduits of grace right. and conduits of compassion and mercy too. Yeah, okay, I love that. Okay, so for for those of you listening who are in relationship with someone who is using or again is, is working their recovery, perhaps addicted, um, taking the time to name what is the wound that their use touches in you. So I mentioned, for example, that 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 wound, that lie that I had fallen for, that I was not enough and that I had to hustle for my worth. Um, naming that wound and then considering what next step can you take in addressing that and healing that wound. Um, so, you know, for for me, that was a lot of different things. It was spiritual direction, it was therapy, it was talking about it with friends. Um, but it was a lot of journaling too. Um, but what's the next 
step, so similar paralleling path in the Department of Courage um, to to also bring this to light, your own woundedness, um, because I guarantee as a human out there in the world, it's touching on a wound. Um, So know that that we have taken steps similar to this and we continue to do so. Um, And so we are with you, listeners, we are with you. And not only are we with you, but the Lord of the universe who yeah. died and rose is Who's with you already as well. triumphant, right? He's right. already promised us victory. Right. So you just have to step into the victory that he's won for you. Yeah. So so let's pray to him and invite him. him into this uh, conversation too. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Lord Jesus, you are the author of life and you are the author of love. Lord, you've created us all for a good and worthy purpose, and you have created us um, in your image, and you've invited us into your likeness through the sacraments and through unity with your church. And Lord, we pray for your presence with us tonight. We invite you into this conversation and into all the depths of our hearts that are that are farthest from you, that are mired in shame, in despair, in awareness of our own sinfulness, brokenness, um, in the pain that um, some of us might feel in being hurt by the use of others of pornography and sexual addiction. Um, I pray that you would meet them and console them with your sacred heart. And I pray, Lord, in a particular way for all those who are struggling with addiction of any kind, especially with sexual addiction and pornography use. Lord, you know the the struggles of their hearts. You know what they're going through, um, and you know their deepest needs uh, that are being um, unmet by the use of pornography. So I pray for you to extend your healing and mercy upon them, Lord, and also to to lead them in the direction of true healing and wholeness, that they can be restored to the son or daughter that you created them to be, that they can live in freedom and in truth of their own dignity and identity in their relationships and especially in their relationship with you, Lord. Mother Mary, please pray for us. Help us to um, have hearts that are becoming more and more immaculate like yours and help us to draw closer to your son through your prayers. And we ask all this, Jesus, in your perfect name. Amen. Amen. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Thank you, my love, for another just meaningful conversation where um, I get to be more in love with you and more in love with the the soul that God has placed in you. Um, and I'm excited for the ways that we are going to use our hurt in the past um, to glorify the Lord and to, yeah, just kick the evil one in the teeth with all this, <laughs> um, if I'm being honest. Um, so uh, listeners, um, we are getting ready for part two of this, um, where we'll share more about our story. And we'd love to know, you know, kind of coming out of this episode, or just in general, are there things that you hope that we'll touch on? Are there questions that you have? We'll do our best to respond um, by by including it in our outline for the part two of this two-part series. So get in touch with us on Instagram, this whole life podcast, Facebook, this whole life podcast, or um, feel free to use our website with its contact form, this whole life podcast.com. And there's links in the description to all of those as well. So um, please feel free to, yeah, let us know what it is you're looking for. Clearly, um, nothing is off limits. <laughs> or if it is, we'll let you know. But um, <laughs> but vulnerability is the name of this game. <laughs> and uh, so thanks so much for being with us. And until next time, God bless you all. You're not alone. This Whole Life is a production of the Martin Center for Integration. Visit us online at thiswholelifepodcast.com. Done. Good job. I love you. I love you too.